You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. As you have a seat, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to take out a Bible and turn to James chapter 3 as we continue our series that we've been in and studying the book of James over the last number of weeks. And, and today we come to that ever-popular passage of taming the tongue. James chapter 3 of Taming the Tongue. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 in our passage today. And as you're turning there, imagine with me that it's 1776 in New York City. And a young and an aspiring Alexander Hamilton uh, confides in a man he looks up to, Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr would be eventually the third vice president of the United States. And after graduating from Princeton, Hamilton asks about how he succeeds in life, how he gets ahead, how he finds true success. Lin-Manuel Miranda imagines in his musical that he writes about Alexander Hamilton, and he suggests that Burr's response was something like this, talk less, smile more, don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. You know, today in our passage in James, we are going to hear and be reminded of the power of the tongue. We are going to see the potential destruction that our tongues can cause. But is James really instructing us to talk less? The average adult speaks 20 to 40,000 words a day out of an English language of about 150,000 words. And so is the way to succeed, is the way to tame our tongues simply talking less in our lives? I think what James would say to us that we're going to see is it's not just about our word count, it's about our word usage. And so we're going to see in our passage four pressing realities about how and why we use our words and maybe even suggest to us ways that we should spend them on. So let's read our passage today and then we'll begin unpacking these realities. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Uh, If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison." With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, my sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield a fresh water. Have you ever thought about the words that you use? Have you ever taken an inventory or, or maybe an assessment on the words that you use thinking, how do I speak? Why do I speak? Maybe thinking, when do I usually speak? Or maybe asking yourself, do I even care about the words that I speak? You know, I would suggest to us that we often do this in a time when we've misspoken. When we said something that we wish we could have taken back, that's when we start evaluating the words that we use. That's when we put our foot in our mouth. You know, all of us have had these moments. Maybe you're thinking of a situation right now, something you wish you could have taken back. First number of years, uh, as I served on staff here, I oversaw the children's ministry, and one day I was writing an email to all of you parents, and it was about the heart of our ministry and, and discipling your children and just sharing some of the vision and passion we had about um, ministering to your children. And so I sent out this email to all of our parents, and after a short period of time, um, got an email from one of our uh, staff spouses, and she said, hey, Greg, not sure whether or not you recognize what you wrote in that email. You might want to double check. Um, and so I quickly opened my inbox, I'm scrolling through the email that she's referring to, and I'm finding the spot in the email. And, and wanting to say something about discipleship, this is what I said to all of you parents. Simply put, we care deeply about effectively disciplining your child. <laughs> it's not what I meant to say. In fact, these two letters right here changed discipling to discipline, and I thought, oh, this is something I wish I could take back. And so I quickly recrafted an email, sent out clarification to remind you that this was not what I was trying to say. But I was thankful in that moment that she had emailed me and helped me see that this is something you might want to change or, or correct. Um, I was also reminded, too, that she was the only one that replied, and so maybe none of you read the email. Uh, but this is an example of something I wish that I could have taken back. And that leads us to the question, why do we do this in our lives? Why do we find ourselves in situations where we say something that we regretted? Or we've communicated something to someone and then recognized, oh, that didn't go over so well. Or I'm starting to see that that was something I should have kept in my mouth because it's causing harm or destruction. I think James will help us see today in our passage that there are some realities that we need to understand about our tongue that maybe answer that question about why and how and, and why it's important for us to think about our speech. So pressing reality number one, we're going to hear four of them today. Pressing reality number one is this. Now, my tongue clearly calls for stricter judgment. My tongue clearly calls for stricter judgment. This is a pressing reality because it's urgent for us to see this in our lives. And, and maybe today, if we begin to see these pressing realities, it will lead us to very quick and immediate uh, application. And so if our tongue clearly calls for judgment, what do we mean? Well, James says this in verse 1. He talks about people who are aspiring to use their words to teach, to teach the people of God, to teach the word of God. And he says, I'll have you be reminded to know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Maybe that's a new thought for you, that we will be judged by strictness. We'll talk about the context in just a moment. But here's what Jesus says about this concept in Matthew chapter 12. He says, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's essentially what James is saying here, that by your words you will be condemned. You will be judged with greater strictness. So we should be mindful of the words that we use. You know, in our world today, 
We might hear something like, uh, you have the right to remain silent, right? These are the Miranda laws. Anything you can, you say, uh, can and will be used you in a court of law. And so it's our words that condemn us. We need to be careful about the words that we use and be uh, reminded that they will be held accountable in our lives. But James begins this passage, and it's interesting. Why is James speaking by warning those who aspire to teach the Bible? I, I think it's important uh, that maybe anyone, maybe a young person who uh, God is stirring in your life to become a pastor or a teacher of the Bible, a- anyone here, I don't want James to take the wind out of your sail to say you should not teach the Bible. He's just saying that the same God that rewards those who faithfully teach his word will be also a God who, with greater strictness, judges those who misteach his word. And so we're reminded to be careful about the words uh, that we use. In the early church, this must have been an issue. It must have been an issue that James was writing, saying, hey, I think it's be beneficial for you to check the desires and the intentions of your heart about why you want to do this, about why you want to teach, about why you want to be in these situations. In the early church, there was people that would have aspired to this role, to the platform, to be able to communicate how they wanted or to be able to persuade or to be the voice or so that their voice and words were heard. And James says, just slow down and just remember that the thing that you're aspiring to will be using your tongue and your tongue is going to be the vice that will eventually bind you. And James says, it's we who teach. So he doesn't give this warning and exclude himself. He recognizes that we must do this faithfully in our world. We must recognize that those who do not do this faithfully in God's sovereignty will have their ministries removed. Their churches divide and their lampstand removed as well. But it's important for us to see, particularly in verse 2 as we continue in our passage, that this isn't just a passage today about Bible teachers. This is for everyone. Look what verse 2 says. It says, for we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble with our words. And as though maybe some of us might be thinking, well, I'm not sure that that applies to me. James unpacks that. He gives this comic rhetorical response. He says, just in case anyone thinks they don't stumble in this category, then you must be a perfect person. And if you're perfect, then you're also able to control the rest of your sinful desires in all areas of your life. Well, of course that's not true because only Jesus is perfect. And so in our lives, we must recognize that we will all be held to an account for the words that we use because we all stumble in many ways. And whether we aspire to teach God's word in groups or in ministries in our church, it also includes those who just want to use their words well. And so that's pressing reality number one, that we have to recognize that we will be judged by the words that we use. But that should lead us then, if we believe this, to an application. An application that might say something like, well, if this is true in my life, then I need to be ever watchful and discerning and on guard for how I'm going to use my words, if they will be the standard of which I'm judged. And then the passage continues. We find out our pressing reality number two. It's this, my tongue craves control. My tongue is the one that craves control. Verses three through 5a unpack this. I wanna show you verse 5a first because James says, so also the tongue. So he's making a comparison to something. Now let's go back to verse three. So also, 
So he gives two relevant examples for his listeners. He talks about the bits that we put in the mouth of a horse and hold the reins so that even though such a large animal can be trotting down a path, it's really the the bit that controls the horse as you hold the reins. It's not the horse that controls, it's the bit in their mouth as it steers them. And so also, the second illustration he gives us is, is about these large vessels, these large boats, driven by strong winds in a storm. James says, It's not the boat that controls their path. It's the very small rudder. In fact, we would be wise to recognize in our lives as well that just like these things, as he comes to verse 5, so also does our tongue crave control. You know, in Matthew 15, there's an indication for why the tongue is craving control because Jesus wrote this on the slide. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come all evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So Jesus is saying, what is going on in your heart will come out in your speech. And James is writing saying, it's our tongue that craves control because it longs to indicate the path that we are on what's going on in our hearts. And that should lead us then to wonder, well, how is my tongue craving control in my life? One commentator said that the tongue that we have in our mouths is really a barometer of our spirituality. And so they would say, you show me one speech and I'll show you the condition of their heart. There's another thing that can be helpful. I want to show you this image. Uh, we think about the words that come out of our mouths, and, and maybe our first thought is, well, the way that I speak is just how I craft words together. It's how I want to communicate what I'm passionate about. It's how I dialogue with people. It's nothing more than that. What James is saying in these verses, and what Matthew 15 says, is the words that come out of our mouth is really an indication at a root level what's coming from our hearts. And so if you do an inventory on your speech, what you're going to find out is the things you love to speak about, how you react, the words that you use, the names you take in vain, they are all bubbling out of the condition of your heart. Now that's, that's a pretty strong wake-up call for all of us to think that if we were to evaluate the way that we speak, it's really an indication of our heart, but that is the reality that we face, not only in James chapter three, but in the Bible when Jesus is speaking in the Gospels in Matthew. And so if we're understanding this reality today that our tongue craves to set the path that we're on, to indicate the course and the direction of our hearts, then that leads us to another reality of application in our lives to consider what is my speech communicating about the condition of my heart? What does my heart seem to love most? If I were to take all the words in my speech What does that say about the orientation of what my heart loves and likes to spend time on? Takes us to the next reality in verse 5b. Pressing reality number three is that my tongue can cause catastrophe. My tongue, your tongue can cause catastrophe. In verse 5b, James writes this, the second half of verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by just this small fire, a spark, 
And the tongue is also that fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. Here's some great things about our tongue. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, wrecking it, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. There's a man named Samuel Coleridge. He was a British author and poet and a composer. And he was known for saying that poetry is using the best words in the best order. I think that's helpful for us to think about in this topic, that often the times when we begin to cause catastrophe with our words is because we didn't use the best words in the best orders. We've said something carelessly or we've misspoken about something that maybe we shouldn't have ever said at all. You know, consider the use of a teleprompter. We've all seen press releases or, or politicians where they have the teleprompter on either side of the stage and they're reading the script. Well, a, a teleprompter is there because a carefully crafted message is meant to be said in a particular way. And so as the script goes on and as the person reads what they're supposed to be saying, we've all seen those videos or maybe even been there when someone goes off script. And they start to say things in their own words. They start to say things what maybe the company or the party or whatever it's about didn't mean to say. And we're watching and listening. We feel bad for them. We begin to cringe thinking, no, 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 no. I can tell this is not what you're supposed to say. Just stop right now. Put it back in your mouth. A teleprompter can be really helpful. But all of us deal with this. All of us think about this. All of us have maybe gone through this. I mean, husbands, when your wives ask you, do I look good in this, or how does this look, and you say, fine, they might say, what do you mean I look fine? I want to look good. Don't you think I look good? And you say, well, I, that's, not what, that's not what I meant. I, I, you look good. And they're like, well, then why didn't you say that? That's a catastrophe, <laughs> right? We say things that we don't mean because maybe we have the wrong words in the wrong orders. But all of us consider this. We've said something that we shouldn't have said. All of us have said something that we didn't say very well. Or there's been something in our lives that wasn't said that should have been said. Notice how I didn't say we've said something that we didn't mean to say. Because I think our last pressing reality, Matthew 15 and these verses in James, I think they would say to us, we always say what we mean to say. We just don't always realize why we've said it. Or we regret that we've said it. You know, Proverbs says a lot about speech as well. If we were to do a quick search about all the things that Proverbs has to say about speech and the trouble we can get ourselves in, there are lots to find, but I want to show you four here just on the screen that can be helpful for us to think about the catastrophe that the tongue can cause. In Proverbs 12, 18, it says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Proverbs 16, 27 says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like scorching fire. 18, 7 says, A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. And 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's pretty important for us to see, just the catastrophe that the tongue can cause in our lives, that, that if not kept at bay or guarded or warned or, or watched, that our speech is capable of causing incredible catastrophe. Now, maybe you're here thinking, I've seen what James is writing in these verses, that like a small fire, our tongues can cause catastrophe 
like it burns a, a forest as a wildfire. And maybe you're thinking in your own life, well, I'm not quite sure that my words do that type of damage. Maybe we just need to open the search filters a bit in Proverbs to the rest of the Bible about how the Bible speaks about our speech in the ways that we can speak that speak death rather than life. So I want to show you on the screen just a number of different words, and maybe there's some here you're thinking, that's for me. Things like tearing down or slander. Maybe false teaching or arrogant boasting, gossip, hypocrisy, quarreling, complaining. This is what the Bible says are references to the tongue's catastrophe. It's not just one particular area, and and maybe you're uh, in that category or maybe you're exempt. I, I think all of us find ways that sometimes our speech get us into trouble where catastrophe is beginning to spread. So that's what the Bible has to say systematically about our speech, but we've also seen this in history of the catastrophe that can be caused when our tongues are not considered in how we use our words. The early church, they fought hard and long over creeds and doctrines to preserve the way things needed to be said because they feared that to abandon biblical orthodoxy meant catastrophe for the church and for believers. We've seen in our lives as well, maybe denominations that are dividing because of what's being said or not being said, or what they want it to say rather than what it has said. We're seeing churches close because the Bible is never opened. And we're seeing bad Bible teaching because we don't think often enough in our world that our speech matters and that it can can, uh, cause catastrophe. And so we must take heed and recognize that our words matter, that we should be taming our tongues. Now I want you to see in your Bibles at the beginning of chapter three, um, there's probably a title in your Bible. These titles are placed by the editors as they put Bibles together. It's not a part of the original language, but they put titles as summaries of what we're about to read. So it probably says something like taming the tongue. Now I want us to go down to verses seven and eight where James says this, he continues, he says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed, verse eight, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I think the titles in our Bibles, uh, if we were to redo this, maybe should say, can't tame the tongue, right? That's what James is saying in this passage. In fact, as he writes in this verses, he's referencing Genesis 1 and 2, when, when God gave Adam and Eve this command to rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and over every living creature, subdue them, have dominion over all of the created order. And James says, in fact, we've done this, but no one can tame the tongue. No one can eliminate the catastrophe. And so if we think in our lives what maybe this looks like, it might be helpful for us just to consider what the word tame means. The word tame in the Greek language is how we get our English word domesticate or domestic, which really means to be able to adapt something over time. One of our staff members before God called them into ministry has some extensive education in animal behavior training. And so I was dialoguing this week about this topic. What does it mean to tame an animal? James says we've been able to do this. And so how how do we do this um, as a field of study or what does that look like? And they said, well, there's three things you need to consider when you think about taming an animal. The first category could be, uh, are we talking about domesticating wild animals? 
Uh, Are we secondly maybe talking about training a domestic animal? But thirdly, as it applies best in this passage, maybe we're talking about training a wild animal. That seems to be what James is suggesting. And so what they were talking about is how eventually over time through positive reinforcement with a wild animal, you're trying to help them be rewarded for a behavior or as you're guiding them to respond a certain way. And you reinforce that or correct that if they're not responding that way till eventually over a period of time, you have a wild animal that has its natural instincts adapted. But what's the thing about training a wild animal? It's still always wild at heart. And although you begin to see change, you have to remember that it's still a wild animal. James is saying in these verses that like all of the tame animals in our world, you and I have a untamable, restless evil in our mouths. And if it's wild at heart, it is capable of causing catastrophe. I wanna show you a couple images here of what this might look like. What James is saying, Here's a wild lion, right? Verse seven, everything in creation has been tameable. So the lion itself, as James is saying, next slide, is something that is able to be tamed, right? It's credible that they can do that with a lion. All right, next, next slide. A, a tiger, the wild tiger. James is saying that, that in creation, we as human beings are able to, next slide, tame the tiger. the size of that tiger. And then thirdly here, Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, the wild bear, even the bear, next slide, is able to be tamed. But there is one restless, untamable animal in our lives. No one in all of history has been able to tame it. And there are many of them in this room right now. And it's even in your mouth. And it's the tongue. James says in verse seven and eight, he says, we've been able to do this in all of creation, but no one can tame the tongue because the tame is, next slide, wild. Your tongue in your mouth is wild. It craves control. It causes catastrophe. And that should be a warning for us that even if we go through a season of saying, I I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm controlling my tongue. It hasn't caused much damage. And we let our guards down And we enter seasons where we don't think about our speech. We're not careful with our words. And then what happens? The wild tongue causes catastrophe. But what James is suggesting here as we're going to move into the last part of our passage is that we can't just be okay with the wild animal in our mouths, with the restless evil in our tongues. Our tongues must be claimed for something more, something better. They must be, as followers of Jesus, used for a higher purpose. And so in the last verses, we see pressing reality number four, which is this. My tongue must be claimed for Christ. My tongue must be claimed for Christ. Look at verse nine as James continues. He says, with it, our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and then with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Verse 10, he says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Those last few verses of that verse there, ought not to be so, are one of the strongest negative commands written in the Bible. In the, Old Te- or the New Testament, this is the only time it's written in this way. And so James is saying, if you follow Jesus, if you love Christ, 
There might be ways that you are using your speech in your life right now that James would say, believers should never talk like that. And he gives these examples in saying, some of, your, uh, some of us are cursing and some of us are blessing with the same mouth and our lives need to be marked by a tongue that is claimed for Christ. So l- let's just think about how we speak in our lives. It's not just verbal words that we use. We speak by texting. We speak on social media as we post and respond to replies or messages. We speak in our lives uh, through letters that we write or books that we've maybe written. We speak when we hit our head on something. We speak in traffic. We even speak non-verbally through facial expressions and eye-rolling. And so if God were to maybe just glance through your text messages today about the way that you've been talking about that coworker or that classmate or that family that you know, those parents that seem to be doing a terrible job or whatever the topic is, if they were to look on your social media feed today and God were to scroll down and just see all the things that you're posting about or how you're replying to certain people and defending what you've posted, if God were to sit in the car next to you this week in traffic and see when someone irritates you how you respond to them, just some of these ways, would God be grieved by how we are using our speech? Maybe more helpfully, what are those specific areas that God would be grieved in? When you are in the car, when you are on your phone, when you are in the class, when you are with that person, God is grieved by what we say. But I think it's helpful just to acknowledge a bit of attention in this passage as we think about these things. Because on the one hand, James is saying we should, we should aspire to tame our tongues. But then in some verse, James says, but you can't tame your tongue. So that's a tension for us. How do we aspire to something that is not possible? I want us to see uh, verse 8a. I think that's helpful for us to just notice what he writes. He says, but no human being can tame the tongue. No human being. This is something that a number of times reading through, I just didn't catch it right away. Maybe you've done that too. You just kind of read through the verse and you didn't really notice that he says, no human being can tame the tongue. I love what Augustine says about this particular verse and what James writes. He does not say that no one can tame the tongue, but no one of men, so that when it is tamed, we confess that it is brought about by the pity, the help, the grace of God. You see, we can't tame our tongues because it's an indication of our hearts. But God can do that in his grace in our lives because he can change our hearts. I think that's helpful for us to think about that on this side of eternity, this wild, restless evil in our mouth will never be tamed. But James is saying, but with the grace and the help of God in your life, you can begin to see change in how you use our our words. And that's why Paul writes, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. But as I've been growing in my faith and maturity, I'm now in the place where as a man, I no longer say those things. I put childish ways behind me. Maybe some of you know this to be true in your own life. That with God's help, you can see change. The things or the ways that you used to talk about or how you used to speak is no longer how you speak anymore. It grieves you because it grieves God. And then we come to that place when we look back in our life, maybe with hindsight, which is always 2020, and we say, wow, 
I have seen change. People have noticed that I speak differently. Douglas Moo says this about some of that change that we see in our lives, uh, about the period of time when we look back. Go to the next slide. He says, we may never reach the point where the tongue is perfectly controlled, but we can surely advance a long way in using our speech to glorify God. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're recognizing and admitting, my tongue and my speech is not perfect, but God is doing a work in me that when I look back, I can see how God is glorifying himself in the way that I speak because I'm different and I'm being changed. So going back to the taming of wild animals, how many of us love dogs? Are dog people here? You know, the dog is the most domesticated animal in North America for sure, probably in the world closely. We have dogs in our homes and we begin this process, maybe when they're a puppy or maybe hopefully you've received a trained dog, but we begin to train them and to domesticate them, to guide them how we want them to sit and lie down and, and, and stay. But the truth is, is that a dog is always going to be a wild animal. And even though it's highly unlikely that our dogs ever act out in maybe disobedience, hopefully that's true of your dog, we still have to be reminded that just like the tongue, it is a wild animal. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that we should be living through life on this side of eternity saying, I need to keep watch. I need to be reminded of how it should be used, of how it should not be used, because we need to be claiming our tongues for Christ. And so to answer the question, well, how do we begin this then? I want to show you Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So here are some questions today. Is your talk corrupting? Is your talk or your speech or your tongue building others up in your life? Is it well-timed words in someone's life? It fits the occasion. Does it give grace to those who hear it? Those are Questions that we can begin asking about our words and how we speak in our lives. You know, parents, I'm thinking about just the context that you have to speak in the lives of your children. How you can use your words to encourage your kids rather than discourage them. How you can use your words to teach them God's word because the world is not going to do that. How you can pray for them. How you can even use your words non-verbally by listening to them to show them that you care or maybe even by modeling in your own words what you want them to aspire to. You see, the idea of talking less and smiling more in our lives is not the way that we tame the tongue or how we succeed. There are times as followers of Jesus when the world and the people around us need to know what you're against or what you're for. They need to know what you believe in. They need to hear the words that indicate what's going on in your heart. Proverbs says that when words are plenty, transgressions are not lacking. So minimizing those 20 to 40,000 words every day in our life, that, that's not how we solve the heart issue. But Jesus is. And running after him and seeking him and getting more of him. A couple weeks ago we heard in James, implanting the word of God into your life. That's how, as you seek God, your heart changes. And then all of a sudden, as if a factory, words start popping out. It's like, oh, that's, that's different. That's new. I'm speaking differently about that. That's how we claim our, our tongues and our words for Christ. 
And so I want to just finish today by asking a number of questions for some scenarios that maybe God's been working in your life uh, today as you've thought about this topic, as you've been reading these words in James chapter 3. Maybe you just want to sit quietly, close your eyes, or bow your heads. These are applicational questions for us, just between you and the Lord, to say, God, um, here's my speech, Lord, take and use it. Some of us need to claim our tongues to not discourage our children, but to encourage them. To not speak harshly, but to speak love to our spouse. To not speak sensually to someone if they are not your spouse. To not tear down, but to build up the church member. To not gossip about that man or that woman, but to use no words at all. To not be bitter with God in the trial, but to pray and to praise. To not just use good words, but use your best words. To not speak like your friends, your family, your church upbringing, your culture, but to speak like Christ. To not speak words of division, but words of unity. To not speak words of doubt, but to confess faith in Jesus Christ. To not hide sin on your own, but to confess it to a brother or sister. To not praise the name of God on Sunday and use it in vain on Monday. To not be silent on issues you need to speak on. To not post for the sake of pride. To not text if you want to take it back. To not lie, but to speak in truth. To not say one thing and do the other. To not curse but bless, to not complain, but to give praise for blessings in your life, to try not to forget, but to speak forgiveness. The call for change for us in our lives today, God, is that when we claim to love you and to follow you, our words don't always reflect this reality. So God, today as we're here, as we are thinking through what this looks like in our lives, I pray that you be speaking to every one of us. God, I pray that as we've heard words from James chapter three, we would say, what does that say about the condition of my heart? Where are the ways, God, that I need to change? What are the prayers that we need to pray and say, God, in this area of life, help me. God, we want to use our words to bring glory to you. And we just confess to you today, there's times as followers of Jesus that our words don't, aren't in line with this reality. God, maybe someone here today, you've been working in their life and you've been stirring in them that you want their words to confess faith in Jesus Christ. That as Paul writes in Romans 10, that it's, it's with our words that we confess this faith. We believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. God, maybe there's someone here today that for day one in working on speech and taming their tongue, you would say to them, confess faith in Jesus. And then God, for all of us, would you work in our lives? I pray that we would be a people that would speak in such a way that the world would look in and they would see how we speak and then they would ask questions about that Jesus and that would lead them to a place at the cross where they would say, would that God save me too? 
So Lord, take our words captive. Use your church to speak life into this world. And we even stop now and we just say, could we praise you? Could we worship you with our lives for who you are and what you've done? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.